this is your host Helen and welcome to today's episode of Asian Bitches Down Under. It is my pleasure today to uh, speak with Samantha On. Is it did I pronounce it correctly? I should have asked you before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Samantha is the founder and CEO of Joy Dolls. It is a boutique uh, toy store offering the world's most diverse Asian dolls. I've came across with Samantha's work when I was scrolling through Instagram, um, just looking for gifts, ideas for the end of the year for my nieces and nephews, and also I've got a young daughter myself and saw her products and they instantly caught my attention because you rarely see dolls that are ethnically specific on the market and I've decided to click on the page and took a look through and we connect you know that way I'm really amazed through with the range of the dolls that the brand offers um, Samantha is currently resides in uh, Toronto, Canada and she's originally from our beautiful Melbourne um, so without further ado I would like to welcome Samantha um, thank you so much for joining me today at the podcast today. Um, maybe could we start with you telling us about yourself, your background, where you grew up and what was your childhood like? Oh gosh, that's a, you know, a long <laughs> question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How much time do we have? Um, so yeah, I, I actually, I was born in Malaysia mm-hmm. and then my dad um, decided, like he got a job in Australia, he decided he wanted us to immigrate to Australia to give me a better life like, and better education. Uh, so he got a job in Australia and I was about eight months old at the time. So pretty much like baby. So um, I, yeah, I, I generally say like I was pretty much born in Australia. I was a bit like a, a baby. Um, and so I grew up in Australia practically yeah, my entire childhood. Um, it was only really until um, I started work that I decided to move to Canada. Um, but before then, um, I was always been like a creative person. So I grew up in Melbourne. Um, I do remember, you know, like being very conscious that I was Asian, that I was like the other. And I always I always thought like my classmates who were blonde, blue-eyed, were so much prettier. I wanted to be like them. I always felt that I couldn't get like a boyfriend or anything like that because, you know, you know I, I, I thought they were so much prettier, right? So, um, uh, yes, I had that creative instinct. I always loved, like, loved photography. I loved like designing online. I you know, the internet was coming in. I loved designing websites. And then, you know, when it came to university, um, I was doing pretty well in school. You know, I followed that like Asian stereotype, being good at math and <laughs> all of that. And like, even when I dropped chemistry, my teachers were like, "I can't believe you dropped chemistry." And like, I just wasn't interested. I wanted to. I wanted to. to, to explore like digital media and stuff like that and I remember like my teachers and of course my parents um strongly like uh like like dissuaded me from doing like that type of path Mm -hmm. um I remember them saying to me like that doesn't seem stable like you know all the uh, things like why don't you do something else so I didn't know what to do at all because I just wasn't interested in anything else and so but I ended up just doing a commerce degree at the University of Melbourne and I feel like when I did that I didn't know at the time that it really wasn't for me, but I just completely lost interest in studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just 
felt like maybe I was burned out and I didn't realize that that just wasn't the career path for me. Um, I just couldn't like click in to like whatever was being taught to me. <laughs> like I, I tried and just like, it, yeah. So um, I still continued down that path because I just thought like that's what I had to do. And so I ended up in, um, I will say boring all insurance <laughs> and I did that for um, oh gosh too long um, and that's when I started to get really bored so that I, I did that for almost two years out of university and then I just completely didn't know what to do with myself so I decided to move to Canada on my own I just quit my job and then I just moved to Canada on my own um, and then started that immigration immigrant like journey on my own mm-hmm. um like not knowing anyone I actually moved like right after the financial crisis mm-hmm. um so it was like really tough finding a job but I was just determined to make a new life for myself and because it was so hard to find a job I ended back in insurance because <laughs> 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 that was all that I, my experience I had to mm-hmm. offer at the time and so I did that like total I did that for like 10 years wow and yeah but in between I started um, I just knew that it wasn't for me like I remember I just couldn't wake up in the morning and like to go to work mm-hmm. um, I really dreaded going into work I just couldn't take it anymore and um, I just like I, I always love photography so my husband said why don't well he was my boyfriend at the time and he said why don't you try uh, doing photography and I was like oh there's no way you can make your business out of it but I decided to anyway and so then I thought of wedding photography business mm-hmm. um, and then uh, I really felt like when I started doing that like oh gosh this is exactly what I was meant to do my whole life this it all came down to this moment um, I, I found my life like goal and my this is my passion I loved it so much I put everything I had because I loved it so much I put everything I had into it and it really became my life so actually so much that it overtook my life um and and then it was only until it was so successful and then you know I was working all the time and then it was only until um the pandemic happened like even when I had my daughter I didn't stop like I didn't take any leave I was still wow. working right through I, like I didn't take any break and then it really took the pandemic to force me to like take a break mm-hmm. and I realized like what what I was doing and so it was like a blessing in disguise for me even though like it was very stressful financially because we relied so you know heavily on my income and you know providing for the family of course my husband works but it you know we you know both contribute um, you know equally to you know the finances and everything so when um, I lost like practically two years worth of income um, during that time it was you know pretty stressful and I just thought well if I can't work like who am I um, I really had to like peel back those layers and also rediscover myself as a mother that I didn't give myself the chance to one I was so focused on working mm-hmm. yeah and so I'm just like sitting around, you know, taking on this like new motherhood journey and I'm watching, um, you know, the news unfold, of, you know, during the pandemic and, you know, the rise in anti-Asian hate and like it, all those like floods of feelings of, you know, 
um, being scared of how uh, how I look, um, being ashamed of you know, where we come from because of all that that sentiment that that was having you know around the world, and also what that meant for my daughter. I just was so scared that it, what kind of world is my daughter going to grow up in? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I started to look into dolls because um, I couldn't. We couldn't go outside, and we we took that very seriously. So you know, we didn't see anyone at all. So I decided to look for like a playmate for my daughter. I was worried about her like getting along with other people and you know getting lonely, um, as I felt. So uh, yeah, I was looking into dolls, and I just couldn't believe that there wasn't really anything out there that really represented us, even to this day. And I just you know, like I had mentioned. Um, thinking about my experience, like playing with um, blonde dolls, and also um, having that connection to my classmates, and saying, "Oh, well, they—they're so much prettier." Even on TV, we don't really see people that look like us of you know a certain um, um, of you know a certain position, or uh, you know, like I just didn't feel like we were valued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I—I yeah. I had so much questions from what you said. <laughs> um, what, what prompted you to choose Canada? Was Canada your first choice when you wanted to move, I guess, move out of home or away from your parents? Did you have any other um, options? Yeah, so actually my um, goal at the time was to, to work in finance in New York. So I thought, like, let me get as close as possible to New York because it was during the financial crisis. So I knew that I couldn't just like pack up and move to New York and find a job, especially with the work visa situation and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was good with Canada because of the Commonwealth arrangement. I could easily come over here. I think I came on like a, a working holiday visa. So okay. um, I was lucky that I could, I was young and young uh, at the time, so I could apply for that mm-hmm. um, easily. So um, I took advantage of that and then I wanted to move to New York. Um, and then it ended up that I uh, decided not to. <laughs> um, that I decided, oh, you know what, I really do enjoy being in Canada. So then I stuck around in Canada. Yeah. How, was your, how, how were your parents' reaction of you moving so far away? It is quite a long distance compared, you know, it's not like New Zealand or, you know, somewhere near Asia. Yeah, my parents were like, why don't you just move to Singapore or something like that? Or um, like even when I was thinking about moving to Sydney, actually, for um, university, I was uh, planning to go to um, University of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And they were even at that time, like strongly against it. Like, why would you want to move and all this? So um, they definitely felt um that I was like, abandoning them. They were really upset that I, I wanted to move all the way across the world. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be somewhere like close-ish. I had to be on the opposite side of the world. Mm-hmm. And at the time I just, I, I remember like I, back then I had this obsession with New York, you know, with the mm-hmm. Gossip Girl and all yeah, that. I think we were all doing, yeah, back in our yeah. 20s, yeah. <laughs> So that was, you know, my dream at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just realized, I think somewhere along the lines, I realized I just didn't want to work in finance and mm-hmm. have that life. Yeah, and it worked out well for you, I think. Let's talk about toys. Um, 
that's what we're here for today. Um, I don't remember much of the toys that I had when I was, you know, little. And because my parents, they were more focused in academic, I wouldn't say they're focused in academic side, but they got a lot more books for me and my siblings when we were growing up. Maybe one or two plushy toys for me and my sisters. My mum has this really extreme OCD about cleanness, so she's like constantly cleaning and plushy toys for her is like, oh, I have to wash it all the time. Um, I remember I have this a female cousin who had a lot of Barbie dolls that I really envied back then. And I remember more of the social interactions um, with my friends, playing games outside, skipping ropes. So not much of the toys. What about you? What did you grow up with? Did, uh, did you play with a lot of, you know, a specific kind of toys? Yeah, I definitely Barbie was like mm. the one I played with the most. And of course, um, there was Polly Pocket. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so those were the two ones that I played with a lot. And I even remember my mom got me this doll that it had like, you could, it was like pregnant, so you could put the baby inside the belly. And it was, I can't remember the entire um, of functionality, but it even like peed, like if you fed it like water, it would pee. And mm-hmm. like, so I think dolls were a big part of my life, but um, even I was, going back of my childhood photos and I found a few photos of myself playing with the dolls and they were all blonde and mm. uh, I think if I recall they might have been like one brunette one um, but definitely not like black hair or any of it like various skin tone um, so like I when I was growing up I was like a lot darker like being out in the sun and all of that um, and I didn't really think of it at the time but now like as an adult like how we see stuff on media and stuff like that and like um, especially in an Asian community like we have this whole like I should say we but there is a perception that you know white is better like mm-hmm. like fair skin is better um, like try not to get freckles on your face mm-hmm. and all yeah. this stuff Mm-hmm. And so even in the last couple of years, I started like doing like skin brightening and stuff like that. So, um, and then even when I had my daughter, uh, well, before I had my daughter, I was told like, oh, I hope, you know, she has um, your husband's Korean fair skin and all this stuff. So like, you know, it's like something that happens that, that doesn't really get talked about that much, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's it's definitely prevalent and um that I don't want to continue uh, that down the generation and um, hope that we can change that narrative that, you know, all all skin color is beautiful, um, no matter how you look. And, you know, also that whole, like, especially you saw this during the pandemic where, um, you know, there's that sentiment of like, you know, go back to China or, you know, um, you know, there's all this perception that we're all Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something that I, because my family, um, my husband is Korean and, you know, I'm Malaysian Chinese, like I, I really wanted to like really celebrate uh, our culture through the dolls. And that's where that idea really came about. Um, 
because my daughter was around like one years old and uh, we would uh, it was her birthday so yeah we would put her in like her Korean hanbok and then um, Chinese uh, outfit dress and so I was like what will we do this with you know our children like why can't she see herself in the dolls that she plays with yes yes I think the racial implications for um the type of toys that parents or their guardian choose is very important it you know the kids want to play of what they it actually represents themselves as well like you mentioned that when we were growing up there's you know rarely any dolls that's actually re- represents us so we can't be what we can't see um so do you think that um toy markets current at uh, current society is too biased do you think that um they're still very um focused on a very uh monocultured or is it very genderized i do feel like it is very genderized as in you know girls should play justice boys should just play with that and there's no a diversity of race representation in you know the toy uh, industry what do you think of that Yeah, absolutely. I think um there's so much excitement when, you know, big brands like bring out new dolls that are supposed to represent different cultures or races mm-hmm. and always falls short in my opinion because when they finally do bring them out, they don't have that representation that I feel like we're really craving for because mm-hmm. they still don't quite look like us still mm-hmm. and in in doing so it makes me feel like well then if we it still doesn't look like us what are you trying to say like if it looks like us is it bad mm-hmm. um so it almost does like the opposite effect mm-hmm. because i still look at them and think well they still look caucasian mm-hmm. um and what are we trying to say about that are we trying to say that like we should still look caucasian um yeah so yeah i i hope that it will change that um that i hope that they will see that there is such a need for it mm-hmm. and that uh, you know i'm thinking that maybe they're too scared to like dip into what they think is like a niche market mm-hmm. but that niche market has been so uh, it has in such a need for so long that i and you know to think that we're so niche and that we're not valued enough to have something that um, really represents us is also you know telling mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely it's a bit similar to the entertainment industry as well you know mm-hmm. for a very long time that um people of colors um actors and actresses hasn't been really presented on screen and now the past 10 years and it's kind of blew up and you know the production companies finally realizing that there's actually a market for it. everyone you know craving for seeing different sort of diversity represented on the screen um let's talk about your creative progress when you designing the dolls um how do you do the research and how is it developed and what's the production like um and you know from start until we see a complete doll yeah so it has been like quite the journey it, uh, it has been 3 years at this point <laughs> and so it has been that long because i have done such like so many iterations and it has been such a learning process for me at the very beginning i didn't really 
uh, fully conceptualize what I wanted for the dolls. I just wanted to get something out there. So I felt like the very first um, idea of the doll was very rushed. I just like had this idea. I wanted to do a Chinese doll or a Korean doll, a Japanese doll. You know, like have the different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really um, go into full detail about what that would mean or like, um, you know, like have a good vision for it. So only... Uh, in time I started to really have a better vision um, and like also know what our production capabilities were because I had no idea um, I have no like fashion experience no I've, I've tried sewing so many times myself I am horrible at it um, so like I but I tried to do all my own research so even though I didn't sew them myself like I really learned like all like the different processes and like what was um like possible and what was like not possible especially in a larger scale um because initially I actually had the idea of doing them all locally like producing them all locally and then of course like costs were like just enormous Mm. um most of all I struggled to find the right skin tones like you would think that you could in this day and age then go to a fabric store and go I want this color beige or this color brown Mm -hmm. Um, it just wasn't available and then even um, just finding like for example a Chinese dress I wanted like red and gold fabric and like you know it's very difficult to find that very specific fabric Mm -hmm. Uh, so I had to take this idea overseas um, and even overseas it was like hard to find like very um, specific skin tones unless we, we uh, custom them so um, yeah that's when uh, like learning what we were able to achieve like and what we were able to do like and how it affected the end result like changed because initially I thought we could only do this type of doll and then um, and that's why like the fabrics weren't that great or like the design was very simple and then realizing oh my goodness I can I can actually do a custom embroidery um, or I can do um, like print out like the gold um, pattern that is on the Indian dress right now. Initially we thought that it wasn't possible. We had to find like the right fabric and then do it or stitch it in a certain way. But like a lot of the designs were all custom made. And so that's when I, you know, I was able to redesign the doll in the way that we wanted it. Mm-hmm. And so at the moment, sorry, I'm just gonna go throw to you. At the moment, um, how many varieties of dolls that you have? Yeah, so we have um, Chinese, uh, Vietnamese, uh, Filipina, uh, Korean, Japanese, and Indian. So six. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, I had like the grand idea of doing. Uh, I think I had like nine sketched out, and then potentially doing like non-cultural ones, like just like. Um, dolls in like everyday sort of outfit or come modern or everyday outfits Um, but then it was just too enormous to do too many at once like even when I would talk to people like in the industry like Mm -hmm. I would say I'm doing six dolls and they're like six (laughs) like why don't you just start with one maybe three Um, but I really 
I was super stubborn about it. Like, I'm like, no, I'm going to do six because, like, of what I wanted it to represent. But, mm-hmm. And what I wanted it to represent is that if when you look at the dolls together, you can really see that Asian diversity, like, that we're not, like, one monolithic group, that... Yeah. Um, all of different skin tones and yes i still need to, i want to develop more uh, skin tones mm-hmm. um but uh and of course more ethnicities but at least i could say like look even just with these six dolls how beautiful they are together and how different they are mm-hmm. um and they all have their own uh, stories uh and so i think like, although it took much longer to do six, like I see other people bringing out like products like so quickly, like maybe like one product, uh, but it took us so much longer, especially our production, because we did have such diverse, diverse products yeah. that we had yeah. to produce. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what roles do you think that emotional intelligence play in your work as a doll maker? You know, how do you feel when you're creating these dolls? Yeah. So. I, I really do hope that these dolls, um, I hope, like, help people um, talk about, like, uh, our culture and also just, like, really normalize, like, diversity among mm-hmm. children. So I really hope that these dolls aren't just for Asian children, um, that they are for all children to welcome into their home. I, I actually recently had a message um, on my Instagram. Um, a mother reached out to me and she said that you know she's Caucasian, but um, her friends at school are all of diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And so when she saw the Indian doll, she immediately wanted to get the doll and was so excited Aww. to give this to her because she knew, like a lot of her friends were of like in Indian descent or South Asian descent um, and that it would be so um, wonderful for her to for her to have in her home so mm-hmm. instead of just having someone that, that like a doll that looked like her like and like that is so much more representative of the world that she she lives in but also we all live in um, so I think that is so um, nice that you know, these dolls aren't just like a, a, a toy, that mm-hmm. they do represent so much more, that they can give so much um, understanding. And um, I really hope that it, you know, fosters a sense of like inclusion for, mm-hmm. for all, all kind all, all people and, and all different types of like look, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even, um, my children, like if I ask them which doll they like, uh, they they naturally I don't I, I I never push them on any doll, but they they love the Indian doll and the Filipina doll, mm-hmm. which are the darker skin tone dolls. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if they're like consciously aware that of what you know what they're liking or, but it like to, to normalize like darker skin tones at this age I think is so important so that we can like foster this world that really does embrace all colors mm-hmm. um, and what that could mean for you know the, for the future yeah yeah absolutely I found that um, you know it's almost like educating from a very young age because at the end of the day when we start talking about racism or um, the, the rule of racism is really 
fear, you know, fear of unknown. You know, you don't know about other people enough, and then that kind of creates and builds up、um, future repercussions and you know, hate、um, in between or conflicts in the future. But I think that what you're doing now is brilliant. How you just normalize and include, including. Um, different sort of cultures and darks、uh, than the skin tones to for the kids to know about.、Um, you know, it's a part all part of learning for the kids. Hi there. If you're new to our show, thanks for tuning in into our program, and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, we're forever grateful for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. It has really helped this podcast to gain a great exposure, as our mission is to center the perspectives of people who look like us, who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google, or Spotify, and leave a rating and review. And of course, as a small podcast program, we rely on listeners' support to continue this work. Please do check out our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation in order for us to continue to advocate the intersectionality in the podcast industry. Um, my next question for you is:、um, you mentioned about the difficulties of sourcing different colors of fabrics、um, when you're producing the、uh, dolls. Were there any other challenges、um, or obstacles when you're running the business? Yeah, I think for the most part, like I really wanted the dolls to be like as accurate, accurate、uh, in representing the different. Groups and ethnicities and ethnicities.、Um, so I was really worried at the time, like what people would think, because I I can't like pretend to be you know Indian or、um, Korean. Oh, sorry, not Korean.、Uh, even though my husband's Korean, but you know I I can't、uh, pretend to know be an expert in all the different cultures. And so I took the extra time to like really reach out to people, you know. Community, get their feedback, take it back, like redraw,、um, but also you know look at what what's possible,、mm-hmm. and then you know come up with a new design. Like and I even had、um, people on like once they were sort of following us, then we could like start to do like surveys, like what people think and stuff like that. So、um, I even later on I started to、um, reach out to. You know, fashion experts in the in that field,、mm-hmm. um, in that, field, in that、um, yeah, like you know, someone that was an expert in Indian design.、Um, so that was really helpful. But of course, every you know, even in just say the Indian、um, fashion, there's so many ways of how、yes. like to do it,、mm-hmm. and also of course like there's so many regions, like、mm-hmm. languages.、Yes. Uh, Religion, so there was just so much to learn, but also I had to decide, like, well, what were we going to pick to represent as many、um, 
children as possible in India. And so that even played a part with the name, like as something as simple as a name. Uh, I initially thought, oh, well, I'll just pick a name that I like. But then I was like, wait, I want it to really resonate with as many people as possible. So I, I actually um, had this suggestion from someone that was following us. Like in India, for example, there's so many religions, and but the you know main religion in India, like a majority of people follow Hinduism. So um, I could a lot of the names were very related to Hinduism. So I had to be um, like kind of careful about which name we chose so that it would represent as many uh, our children in India. So it was, I couldn't believe like how difficult that process was to find the right name. And, yeah, so, and that was so for like all the other names that we picked but definitely the Indian one and the Korean one was the most difficult um, because I even my my husband who's Korean didn't realize that a lot of the names in um, in Korean actually come from um, like have the Chinese characters in it so finding like a pure Korean name that had like a non-Christian um, like connection um, was very difficult uh, so like all of that like caused extra time but I think was well worth it to make sure that we did things um, in a way that yeah it was as representative as possible but like uh, you know like what's the word um, you know try to just do it properly yeah yeah so it's all suitable for across you know the whole uh, representing the specific culture mm. that they feel all yeah. resonated Oh, yes, uh, do it respectfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and respectfully too. Um, so my final question is that are you working on anything new at the moment? Would you be creating anything new dolls or maybe a boy, boy kind of dolls yeah. as well? <laughs> Yeah, we had so many ideas on what we want to do. Like I mentioned, I would love to do like different skin tones because even with the six dolls, we've had so many people reach out and say, "Well, you know, I'm you know mixed. I'm uh, my husband is um, African American, and you know I, I'm Chinese, and so my my daughter is uh, you know mixed. Like I would love something that looks more like her, or um, you know like." People have reached out like, oh, actually, I have curly hair and stuff like this. So there's so many ideas because, yes, even for myself growing up, like I have, I have curly hair. Like I always felt like I was not Asian enough. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like I, I, um, you know, had this whole mixed feeling of like I'm not white enough, but then I'm also not Asian enough. Like have all these like you know stereotypes. Yeah. And so there's some. Um, so many ideas that I, I have, but definitely um, the boy dolls have been um, such a, a huge request, but also like a lot of Southeast Asia. Um, I think Southeast Asia as a whole has been sort of, you know, like not as represented um, as like I say the East Asian um, yeah. cultures. And so being able to represent, like especially the Vietnamese and Filipina doll, I think it was so popular because people just haven't seen a doll like that that represented them at all. Um, and I, even people like from the Philippines or even from uh, you know, parts of Asia were like, oh my gosh, like 
there's a Filipina doll <laughs> and they can't even find that in the Philippines um, because all the dolls that they have there are also blonde it's just yeah, crazy it's very Caucasian like isn't it yeah and yeah. Also, if you're thinking about like Southeast Asia it's if you come to think about it it's not a very big place but then again it's very diverse you know you're talking about Thai Filipino Indonesian as well um, Singaporean Malaysia it's there's so many <laughs> you know so many cultures that you can look into yeah absolutely and I think that what's that that's gonna make it fun but mm-hmm. also difficult and like what we choose so um recently i did a survey uh i put it out there for all the people that do follow us and to to choose and so i'm gonna the survey just closed and um i'm going to take a look at it soon to see what um people want and then try to to go based on that um but there have been so many requests because i think people really do um resonate with the idea and love uh, what we're doing and what we're about like mm-hmm. um that you know we really are on a mission to just diversify the toy space yes. and you know normalize this for children and change that narrative for the future generation mm-hmm. um that you know we are proud to um you know, embrace our our culture and our heritage um and i hope that you know i can change that you know that, that yeah that for my, my my children yeah absolutely well um samantha thank you so much for speaking with me today and sharing your insights into your work it's been absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast um so where can our listeners find you yeah, so uh, you can jump on um, joeydolls.com. That's J-O-E-Y-D-O-L-L-S.com. Um, and then Instagram, just joeydolls as well. Facebook, joeydolls. Um, and I think TikTok, also joeydolls. So it's just okay. pretty easy. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And hopefully we'll see more new products. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that our listeners will go on to your website and maybe order the dolls for this christmas <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you so much for having me and to, you know being able to share our, you know our, our mission and our story mm-hmm.